Hello and welcome back to another episode of Documented. Quick thank you for everybody who has been giving us five-star reviews and awesome testimonies. We are loving it. We love your feedback and all of your great support. And we're super excited about today's episode. Yes, we are. Today we have Robert Chavez. So Robert, maybe just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself when you were a kid and then just go right into this story. Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was an only child up until the time that I was four years old. And my mother gave her life to Jesus and she started going to church and Patsy was working with her and helping her with, you know, different things and giving her rides and stuff. And one day when my mom called Patsy and asked her to give her a ride to go look for a, an apartment. So she picks her up and she takes her to, to this place called Rent America. And when my mom gets out of the car, I go to follow her out of the car. And she turns around and she tells me, get back in the car. You're not going in with me. And I get upset and I close the car door but I didn't close it right. And, and I start cursing at my mom. And I was the one thing about me when I was a kid, I was a very, very spoiled and bad child. I acted up, my mom had no control over me. And so when she got married, and all of a sudden, there was this authority in my life, I was just really I didn't know how to handle it. I just would act out. So I'm sitting in the back seat of Patsy's car, acting out, cussing my mom out. And Patsy turns around and she goes, you know, that's not good that you, you talk about your mom like that. She goes, you need to pray and ask God to forgive you. And I'm this little kid. I, I don't really know what she's talking about. I'm just like, okay, whatever. And she asks me, do you want to pray with me? Do you want to say the sinner's prayer with me? <laughs> and, and so I say, okay. So she says the sinner's prayer with me. And then my mom comes back and they start to leave. Well, as they're taking a turn, the car door swings open and I reach to go grab it so I could close it. And when I reached for it, they were, they were in the middle of a turn and I lost my balance and I fell out of the car and my body was kind of like, arched in a way and so when I fell out of the car my head went right in the trail of the back tire and she she ran over my head instantly she she realized something had happened she she would tease me later on in the airs and she'd say man she goes it's, it felt like I went over I went over a speed bump and she goes but I knew there wasn't a speed bump there <laughs> so you know, immediately she's like, Gloria, you, you better, I ran over something, you better check. And, but she said she, she knew, so she knew she had ran me over. She was just already starting to go into panic mode. And, um, so my mom gets out of the car and she sees, she sees me under the car. The wheel had already went over my head, but I was still under, you know, the bumper of the car, the back of the car. And she starts screaming and she says, Patsy, Patsy, you're on top of him. And Patsy panics and puts the car in reverse and runs over my chest. And my mom says she's standing there watching and she just watches me run over my chest. 
when she runs over my chest, it pushes everything out of my body. I, I defecated and she said that all the blood vessels in my body, you know, popped. My face was just full of popped blood vessels and she was just hysterical. And so she pulls me out and she's running around screaming, you know, and Patsy's like panicking and and I don't know at what point the paramedics got there, but I know that Patsy said they got there and they were looking at me. There's like they told my mom he's he's dead, he's defecated. That's a sign that he is that his he's dead. And so my mom said I was blue. Like I said, my blood vessels were all popped. You know, my blood ran to my head. And so she's panicking and Patsy starts shaking my mom. And she's like, Gloria, calm down, calm down. And my mom's like, what do we do? Like, what are we going to do? And Patsy's like, let's just pray over him. Let's, let's pray over him. Let's. And so Patsy gets on her knees over me, lays her hands on me, and starts praying over me. And it was a simple prayer. Patsy told me it was a simple prayer. Like, Jesus, we don't want this to happen to Robert. Help him. Bring him to life. We don't want him to die. And she said, instantly, I just sat up. And all the color came back to my face. And all the color came back to my body. And I'm just sitting there. And the paramedics are looking at me. They're like, what the heck? And I stand up and I and I go to my mom and I tell my mom, I fell out of the car, I want to go home. And the paramedics are like, no, you don't. You're going to the hospital. I had a tire track on my face and from where they ran me over. And so they take me to the hospital. Once I get in there, the doctors, they just take one look at me and they, they know like this kid has just survived something crazy. And so the Patsy's telling them, she's telling the doctors, my mom's telling the doctors, the doctors are like, whoa, 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 wait, let's do some brain scans. They, they had me on all kinds of, you know, stuff. They had me in the hospital for five days looking for something wrong with me. And there wasn't a single broken bone in my body. There wasn't nothing wrong with me at all. And it was just, it was just the hand of God that just protected me and, it was something that I really was like, wow. That was the day that Apache ran me over and I was pronounced dead on the scene. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. So I don't know if you said this already, but can you tell us a little bit about who Patsy is? Okay. So. And how she yeah. knew your mom. So Patsy, I believe she said she had been saved probably about a year and a half to two years at the most. And she was going to the church. I think it was called the Victory Chapel. It was the first church that they had sent out to New Mexico. But um, she was in that church. And so my mom was a new convert. She had just gotten saved maybe a few months before that happened. And so Patsy was working with my mom. She was the one that was just following up on her. I know we initially wanted to have Gary on which is Hatsy's husband, but I know you know some of it from his perspective. So just walk me through this. I can only imagine how Patsy felt mm -hmm. when you realized she ran over a kid and then your mom watching her do it again because she thinks she's on top of you and she's trying to get off and she runs over you again. That is insane. So a couple things. What do you remember specifically 
as a kid. Do you have any recollection of, of, of this? Yeah, really vague. I remember the car door swinging open. I remember reaching for it and falling out. And I remember seeing the car tire coming towards me. I remember those. And then I remember being in the hospital and they would, every every morning they would have to clean my eyes out because my eyes would be stuck closed with some kind of, I don't know, it was weird, like it, it just like gunk because I, I think I might have still had some swelling. So every I remember that every morning they would wake me up I'd be screaming. They'd have me in the in the sink, and they'd be trying to scrub my eyes, my eyelids, because my eyes were sealed shut. And then they'd give me ice cream, and so that, I remember that Gary told me that he was working on a house. I think they were doing framing or something, and the house just had the the studs up. They didn't have no walls, no drywall. So Patsy was able to drive in to the the parking lot right after she got out of the hospital after running me over and she drives up into the parking lot and yells she doesn't even get out of her car she just yells from her window gary i i ran over robert he died but he's alive and he's in the hospital and then she drives off and then gary and and his co-worker are looking at each other and they're like well maybe we should go to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> and so he says it was the craziest thing because Gary knew me before I got ran over. And he said I was this problem child. He used the word evil and possessed. And and I just want to throw this in just to kind of give a kind of a picture of. We were in church one day and I'm acting up being, you know, a bratty little kid. And Gary comes up to me. And he tells me, you better settle down. And I say something disrespectful to him. And so he picks me up and he's attempting to like speak into my, you know, eye to eye and speak to me. And as soon as he picks me up and gets me eye to eye, I dig my nails into his cheeks and try to gouge him. And he's like, oh, this kid, you know, I was a very bad kid. When my mom and my dad got married, they... They had no control over me. I ran up on the altar. I started messing around, pushing the, the piano keys and doing all this stuff. I mean, I was acting up, you know, I was a really, really bad kid. And so Gary knew, you know, he had this history with me where he's like, Robert's a brat. Well, he says when he got to the hospital and he walks into the hospital room, he said he'll never forget it. He sees this little boy sitting in the hospital bed with all kinds of wires hooked up to him and a tire track on his face preaching to the doctor. And the doctor is just sitting there like saying, like, what the heck? And he's like, I've never seen that. He's like, that coming from you was like, wow. And he said that from that moment on that I wasn't the same, that I wasn't a big brat like that. I Something in me had changed. And so he's like, maybe God, he joked with me, he said, maybe God had to kill you and take something out of you because you were really bad. And I'm like, wow, you know, it was funny. You know, me and him had that kind of relationship. We would just, 
We just talked, laugh with each other and stuff. But that was a really profound thing that he told me that he remembered. So I'm just trying to picture a hospital gets a report. And I mean, they're being straightforward that, that they ran you over. So did they look into this? Like, were they worried about your safety? Was there any investigation into what happened? Yes. I do have childhood memories of a woman sitting with a clipboard watching everything I do. And I'm, and I always wondered what that was. I can later to find out, uh, what is it? CYFD or something. But yeah, there was counselors that would come check because that was just such a crazy story that, you know, she ran over me, I died and came back to life. But the thing was, is I did have a a tire track on my face. So, I mean, they knew that I had gotten run over. They didn't know if it, what had happened exactly, you know, because my mom and dad had just gotten married and they had been married for a couple of months. And, you know, whether I was... um, being you know neglected or what but yeah the the hospital did look into it and they did call uh counselors i remember them so as you were growing up were you aware this happened because that happened when you were pretty young and you know yes i was aware of it because i had this this phobia whenever we were in the car with somebody else i i would always tell them lock your door Lock your door. I mean, and if they didn't lock the door when I told them to, I would reach over them and lock the door because I was so scared of that happening to them. And, you know, and so I locked my door through my whole childhood. And whenever, like, I was in a parking lot and I would hear a car turning and I can hear the, the rubber and the the grit or like the sand on the asphalt, it makes that noise when the tire's turning that would trigger me. And I, it would just trigger me like, and I would look and I would, there's little things that would trigger me, but mostly it was lock your door, put your seatbelt on. I was really cautious with it through my whole childhood with people. After that, of course, my parents really started going to church and they were there pretty much every time the church was open. They were there for every service. They, miracle would just kind of like made them really really have faith in god and god started moving in their lives and so and gary and patsy were they became really good friends of the family gary and my dad were best friends we all stayed friends and so the church ended up sending them out probably six or seven years after everything and so that was the last that I had seen of them. They were very involved in our lives. I think I was really young to grasp what God had really done in my life. I knew what had happened, but it it didn't click. It didn't click like God did this for me. He loved me. You know, he, he brought me back from the dead. That hadn't clicked. It was just now we're doing the church thing. Now I have to go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday and it got to the point where I was just like, it was a duty. And I had lost the reality of the situation. It was in the back of my mind, but it, was, it wasn't something that I referenced off of who God is and how powerful he is. It just kind of grew dimmer and dimmer throughout the years until finally it was just like a vague memory that every once in a while I would question why am I here? Like, why would God do something like that in my life? And me be 
looking for substance, looking for happiness. If God's going to bring somebody back from the dead, wouldn't you think that they'd have this extravagant life and know there's a purpose for me? So when I was bored or I was depressed or I was something, that's when I would think of it. I'd like, God, why would you do that? What's the purpose of bringing me back from the dead for me to be depressed? That's the only time I would think about that. And uh, I was a loner. I was depressed as a kid. If somebody is a Christian, but they don't live as a Christian, they really don't fit in with the Christians, and then they don't fit in with the sinners because they're not like either. And so they're just loners in the middle. And that's what I was. <laughs> wow. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. It got to the point to where I knew I was, I was already, you know, I want to say about 14 when my, when my parents backslid. And then shortly after got divorced, I had already started re- really rebelling. And so this, when I was 17, I was just like kind of still, actually, you know what? I, they, they hadn't got divorced yet because I remember I was 17 and my dad was like, if you're just going to be rebellious, you know, you got to move out. You got to. So I, I went to job course so I could have a place to stay and I wouldn't be in the house. And it was when I was at Job Corps that they they got divorced. So um, I came back and I came back when I was like about, I think, 19. And I was already starting to drink and I had already started smoking pot. And I, I hadn't been to church for a long time. And I really I really didn't like church because I felt like I had been forced to go to church. And so... I just totally had nothing to do with church. I was totally couldn't wait until I could start buying alcohol instead of, you know, having begging people to buy it for me. So finally, you know, the years just go by and I'm still like this. I I'm I never was really popular or anything. You know, I would have friends and there'd be times where like people would befriend me and then they'd be like, I always had this thing inside me where I would want to like help people, counsel people. And like, and so I, you know, (laughs) it was this weirdest thing. I'd be drinking, but I had this Christian background. And so I'd be all messed up, but then trying to tell them like, oh, you know, you know, almost like witness, but this real skew weird thing because I didn't fit in. I was, I was in between two worlds, you know? And so finally, Years and years and years go by. I end up, you know, getting married and I just totally trash everything. I become this raging alcoholic and I end up, I have, I have a daughter and I had a daughter from another woman other than my ex-wife. And so I just paid child support all the time. I didn't really have a relationship with my daughter. And so I when I just started drinking because I had a lot of regrets. And then when my my marriage failed, I really just kind of went downhill. I got into meth, got into coke, pretty much anything I could get my hands on. I just wanted to escape my reality. And I, I hated who I was. I hated the person that I had become. I hated my decisions. And I hated everybody else because nobody pitied me. People were just like, well, you are who you are because of your decisions. And I, I was like, well, I, I hate everything. So I, I, 
for years and years and years was like that. Well, after my divorce, I went back to New Mexico to go live with my family because I was living in Texas. And as soon as I got divorced, all of a sudden, these thoughts start coming into my head out of nowhere. And it's just like, I need to call the hospital and find out like why I need to know God, why would you do this? Why would you bring me like from the dead? If I'm just going to be a failure, I failed as a father. I failed as a husband. I failed as, you know, as everything I, I hated myself. I wanted to die, but I didn't believe in committing suicide. My, I wanted the cops to kill me. And I wanted to go out in this, you know, glory of gunshot fire. And I had it all. I, I hated myself. And so I'm thinking, I need to find out what happened. I need to find it out. And so I called the hospital and they said, those records are so old that you need to call the archives and you need to see what happened with me, see if you could find your records in there. And so I was in the process of doing that. And then all of a sudden, this thought just came into my head and it was like, call Patsy. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I should, I should just call Patsy. And I was like, I, I, I hadn't seen her at this point. It had been about 30 years since I had seen Patsy. It was a long, wow. long time. And so I'm, I remember I was, went to go visit my mom. I'm sitting in her living room and I'm like, mom, tell me about when I got ran over. And, and she just, she just starts telling me the story about Patsy. And I was like, do you think they still go to church? And she's like, oh, I think they do. Like, I just randomly looked up the Potter's house on my Google, on my phone, on Google. And it gave me the, the number of the nearest church. And so I called that church and the pastor at the time, Pastor Lee Wilson, picked up the phone and I asked him if he knew Gary and Patsy. He goes, yes, I do. And I go, is there any way you could give me the number? And he goes, well, who's this? And I, I told him, this is Robert Chavez. And he goes, okay. He said he didn't know the number right offhand, but he was going to connect me with the number through a friend, which happened to be an evangelist out of Albuquerque. And so he called the evangelist and then, and then called me right back and gave me Patsy's phone number. And I, I called it right away. Patsy answers. And I tell her, hi, Patsy. And she goes, hi, who's this? And I go, this is Robert. And she goes, Robert who? And I go, you remember me? You ran me over. <laughs> and I told her. And I can hear her gasp. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And it was so crazy because she pretty much almost like I don't know if she did drop the phone or what, because it was it was quiet for a while. <laughs> and she was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you called me. And I told her, I want to talk about what happened, you know, when you ran me over. And she goes, OK, well, they were at a function. I think it's called uh, Town and Country. Is that what it is? And so she says, let me call you right back. And so she texts me and she goes, there's going to be a conference coming up. If you want to come to the conference, we could talk about it. And I, at the time, I didn't know what the conference was about. I didn't, I've never been to one. I didn't know. And I happened to call her four days before the conference started. And mm -hmm. so 
she said, come to the conference and we'll talk about it. And I was like, there's no, like, I'm, I'm not going to Prescott. And so I had never been to Prescott in my life. So you're in New Mexico. You call her and she says, hey, come over to Arizona and we can have a conversation. Exactly. That's Stinkin exactly what passing. she said. That's what she said. Tricky. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, there's no way. And so I, I asked her, how long is the conference? And she said, it's a week long. And I tell her, there's no way that I'm going to be able to take off, take off work. And so it was at that point that I explained to her, look, I worked two jobs and I worked so I could get drunk and, and pay my, my rent. And that's all I do. I go, if I, I work for two different companies at the time. And so I told her, I'm probably not going to be able to get off. And so anyways, she's like, well, just try. And so I said, okay. So I talked to one boss and he's like, yeah, you could take it off. I talked to the other boss. He said, no, we need you. And so I made that excuse. I told her, no, I can't. Well, that night, I could not sleep. And I start feeling that this point where I start feeling this urgency. There's this urgency, and it's like, you need to go. And I'm arguing with myself. I'm, I'm not going. You need to go. I'm not going. And then the idea comes into my head. You need to quit your jobs and go. And I'm like, if I quit my jobs... And go to a place that I've never been with no money. That would be the stupidest, most irresponsible thing I've ever done. I don't know anybody there. But, you know, I don't even know Patsy anymore. I haven't seen her for 30 years. And I'm just going to go somewhere where I don't know nobody. And with all these issues. Yeah, right. <laughs> the biggest, one of the biggest things was I associated Prescott with Phoenix weather. And I said, I do not want to go to a place where it's that hot. I cannot be in that, in those conditions. I remember thinking that. And so all that night I couldn't sleep and I, and it became this urgency. And so finally I, I talked to Patsy the next morning and I told her, you know, the craziest thing is I feel like I need to quit my jobs and go. And she's like, well, if that's what God's telling you to do, you better do it. And I told her, oh, that, I don't know. I don't even have a ride out there. I go, I, I, don't, I don't have a way of getting out there. And she goes, hold on, I'll call you right back. She calls the evangelist from Albuquerque and tells him the story. And he's like, okay, well, if he wants to go, you know, give me his number. So he calls me and he goes, and he, he has this really deep voice. And he calls me, he goes, Robert, I hear you want to quit your jobs and go to Prescott for the conference. Do you think that's responsible? <laughs> and, and I told him, I don't know, but I feel like God's telling me to do that. He goes, well, if you're good, God's telling you to do that, you better do that. Who's the evangelist? Pastor Mark Benavides. He says, if you want to go, I'm leaving Monday morning, six o'clock in the morning, have your bags packed. And I'm like, all right. And so I'll go. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so how is this going to work? And I feel, I, I can't say I really heard a voice like a, like an audible voice, but I hear, take nothing but clothes, give all your stuff away. And it's like, you're not coming back. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm, I mean, and I had a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? That drug stuff, that bongs and pipes and stuff that I had treasured. Like they were like my golden calf because that was is what took me out of my reality. And I'm like, I'm not giving all this stuff away. Like, no, and then, I felt it like 
it got to the point where I felt like God had me by the jugular up against the wall telling me, you're going to go to Prescott, you're going to quit your jobs, you're going to pack nothing but your clothes, and you're going to do that this week. <laughs> Patsy didn't say this to you. Well, she wanted you to come to Prescott for well, a conference, and then God dealt with you that you need to, to come permanently. I was just going to take, you know, a couple pairs of pants and a couple shirts, but I felt like God had told me, take all my clothes, everything, everything that I needed, because I'm not going to just go and come back. And wow. so, yeah. So I, I pack all my clothes. I, I tell my little brother, I tell him, you go, uh, you can have your, all my stuff. You can have whatever you want. I told my mom, whatever you what want. What was his sell. reaction when he said that? Was he shocked? He was because there was things of mine. There was paraphernalia that he wanted. I had bongs. He wanted those bongs. And he had asked me for them. And I was like, no. And all of a sudden, I come over. And I'm like, you can have everything. And he's like, whoa. And I, I know that's not good. But, I mean, I was at that state of mind where I, I'm at this point to where, like, I'm not I had I, I had it in my mind that for some reason I wasn't just going to go for the week of conference and come back. I knew something was going to happen and I, there was an expect there was an urgency and an expectancy. And so and I wake up Monday morning, of course, I had my vodka, I had a I think a half pint, I had some bud and I was prepared for the trip. And so uh Pastor Benavides picked me up uh, Monday morning, and I, I had two big bags, like army duffel bags, and that's all I took with me. And when I get into his car, we, should, we just left. We made like one stop. I don't even think I smoked one c cigarette on the way over there because I was so nervous. I was just like, I so I don't know. What to, no, I, I think I did. We made one stop. I think I smoked a cigarette out there, but I didn't drink. I didn't smoke any weed or anything. I couldn't find my weed, as a matter of fact. I looked for it. It was gone. Like, it was gone, gone. I was like, what the heck? But I didn't drink anything. And so we get to Prescott, and he takes me to Gary and Patsy's house, and I see Patsy, and I, and right away I recognize her. And she recognized She was like, man, you haven't changed. You look the same. And I was just like, wow. It was just kind of surreal because i was like i can't believe i'm doing this i can't believe that i'm i'm in this place i i actually left my house or my family's house because i had lost my house and so that they took me to the church and introduced me to a few people that they had told that i was coming down and yeah so i left new mexico like at six in the morning and we got here a couple of uh couple out a few hours maybe before the service started and so we just had enough time to get something to eat and then the the, the first service started and pastor Wayman Mitchell was preaching that night and something about the sermon just I mean it got me I was like like wow and he Pastor Raymond Mitchell said something that night that just rocked my world. And he said, tonight you have the chance to change your destiny. And I thought, wow, that's what I want. That's 
what I've been looking for all these years. I've been looking to change, for change, to change my path on where I'm going and, and what I'm doing. I have been looking for something that would, an, an escape. And he's talking about changing my destiny. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And so he said, if, if you want to take this opportunity, raise your hand. I, I, I rose my hand and um, I went up to the altar. I asked Jesus, my heart, to ask him to forgive me. And um, I, I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm really doing this. And I had it in my mind that after the conference, I was going to get into a recovery program. That was my plan. And so I talked to Gary about it. But the problem was I didn't have insurance. I didn't have no insurance. And so when I called around uh, to the recovery programs, and as soon as I told them I didn't have insurance, they're like, you're not going to be able to afford this. This is going to be way too much for you. Your insurance is supposed to pay for it. And so Gary said, well, let's just wait till after the conference to see what happens and whatever takes place, you know, we'll work with that. We'll get to that, cross that bridge when we get there. So I got saved on a Monday night. Tuesday morning, we're in the prayer tent. And Gary comes up to me and goes, hey, do you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, okay yeah whatever he goes i'll be right back he goes and grabs like five of his favorite pastors <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he comes yeah, back yeah <laughs> yeah it was, and he comes back and he they lay hands on me and that experience was like i and i know this is gonna sound weird but keep in mind that i i was a drug addict and I was always looking for that good high. Well, when they laid hands on me, I started shivering and shaking and speaking in tongues. And then I, I was standing there and I just felt this feeling come over me. And it was like so, uh, the, the, the way that I, the way that I associated that feeling was like if I had just gotten high and I was like, wow, like this is the best high I've ever had. And I could barely walk. I had to go sit down. I'm sitting down. I'm shivering, shaking. And I get up and I try to walk out of the tent and I bump into one of the, the tent straps and I'm just like, I'm, I'm out of it. I'm just like, wow. And I just go back into the tent, sit down, and I'm just like trying to, I, I'm just like, wow, like this crazy feeling just filled my body. And so it was just the rest of the, the rest of the conference was just so, I've never heard people speak like that. I mean, it was like, I was sold out. I, by the end of the conference, I was like, I was full of desire. I was full of drive. And God, God had done something to me. And so the conference ends and me and Gary are sitting in his living room and I'm like, Gary, like I, I wanted to go to a recovery program, but they're not accepting me. And so I go, but you know what's weird? I go like this whole week, I haven't thought about drinking. I haven't thought about smoking weed. I haven't thought about smoking crack. I haven't thought about any of that stuff. And Gary hits me on the shoulder and he goes, you've been delivered, man. And I'm like, <laughs> but I was like, what? he goes, you don't need a recovery program. He goes, you've been delivered. And so I was like, okay, wow. And so 
He goes, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you just stay with me until you get on your feet? And I was like, okay. And he goes, I'm going to teach you how to pray for stuff. And I'm like, all right. So he starts teaching me, you know, you got to pray for an apartment, you got to pray for a car and, and a job. And I'm like, okay. So I start praying and I start going on outreach and start doing this stuff because I'm not really working. And I'm on outreach one day. We were going this out-of-town outreach and this guy from the church comes up to me and he goes, hey, I heard you're looking for a job. My son owns, owns a plumbing company and uh, I'll tell him to hire you that you'll bless his company if he hires you. And I'm like, all right. So next thing I know, I'm a plumber. I started gaining to that business, you know, and that was a big thing because before I got saved, I was working at Taco Bell. I was working for a moving company. I, I mean, I couldn't pass a drug test. So I couldn't get a, a good job. And so I'm, I'm still doing plumbing and it's been three years, you know, so God has really, you know, lifted me from where I was. But so I get this job and then like a month, not even a month, like a week later, I get an opportunity to buy a work van. And then while I'm in the deal of doing that work van, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I need a roommate. My other roommate moved out. I need a roommate like right now. And I'm like, OK. And so I'm like my first check hasn't even come in yet and i have a car an apartment and i'm waiting for my first check of my job <laughs> and so i'm like how am i gonna pay for all this stuff it was just like and it was so powerful to me because i was so used to seeing my life fall apart and now i'm i'm like sitting there i'm watching my life just fall together and it was so crazy and i was like i i didn't know i was just like wow i was so like Take, I mean, I still am. And I was so emotional. Like I, people would come up to me and say, Hey, tell me your testimony. And I break down crying. I mean, like, cause it was like, wow. Like, and I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I'm really just like, I'm trying to be a tough guy and I don't know why I'm crying. And they're like, it's okay. Just let it out, man. I'm like, okay. And I started telling them the story all shaky voiced and. <laughs> <laughs> it was really something but um yeah and so so i was just like wow like i i still look at it and and the crazy thing about it is like when god's moving in your life you can never really see it until everything happens and you turn around and you look back you're like wow look at that divine that has to be it had to be a divine plan mm -hmm. everything that just brought everything together and and Patsy really had this. I love. I loved her. She she passed away. You know she's in heaven now. She got promoted, but um, <laughs> she comes up to me and she goes, Robert, if you backslide, I'm gonna kill you again. <laughs> that, was like, <laughs> that was so funny. But yeah, she. Uh, one thing I'm so thankful to God is you know I had all these desires. I I had. I had desires for, you know, money, for drugs, perversion, all these different desires. God took all those desires out of my heart and he put a new desire in my heart. And that desire has given me so much drive, so much fulfillment. And it's like, I'm no longer looking for substance. I'm full of substance. I'm full of desire and, and, and drive, like I said. And it's like... I went out reaching today and it's like just just to see people get saved and 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 to see people like get a glimpse of hope and and just and I tell them I tell them you know what you know God brought me back from the dead you know and 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 the thing about that story is 
if God can reach into a, a, a little dead boy and snatch him from the grips of death, what do you think he can do for your depression, for your regret, for your addiction? If he can conquer death in my life, imagine what he can conquer in your life. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that God can't do. You know, and that's that's what he gave me in my life. He gave me a desire. And so that was pretty much, that's how I got here to Prescott. It took me over 30 years to realize that God, you know, and that's another good thing about the story, about my, my testimony is I know there's probably people out there that have failed in, in their Christianity. They've been saved before and they've walked away from God. And they're thinking, you know, I wonder if God will ever forgive me, if he's mad at me, if he still loves me. And it's like, you know what? God brought me back to life that day as a child, but I was still dead. I was dead inside. I was spiritually dead. I was walking the streets looking for substance, walking the streets empty. Uh, it's like a walking dead man. And when I got on my knees and I said, God, you raised me from the dead. And and I, I spit in your face. I, I did all these crazy things in my life and denied your name and walked away from you and slapped you in the face. But the minute that I said, I got on my knees and said, God, I need you. I can't do this alone. He brought me back to life again, spiritually. And he brought me back to life on the inside. And he gave me something that no high, no person, no amount of money, no car, nothing. He gave me this joy and happiness that nothing can ever give. And that's the God that I serve. And that's why I'm here in Prescott. And that's why I'm alive today. And that's why I'm happily married. And because God, he's, he's a God of restoration. And now it's documented.